So do you remember when, let's see, was it at, it was September maybe that I said, it's here, the end of the year, we're on it. We're, we're, remember I described it as being in the airport and how you're like, you know, you're just walking along and then you can get on the fast track and Mm -hmm. you have to, I don't think I had any idea how fast and how much was about to come to get us to the end of 2022. You're right. I will remember December 2022, the first half of it, as a whirlwind of emotion and energy mm-hmm. and for the rest of my life. Mm-hmm. And I would not even be surprised after some of the things that I think we've uncovered from ourselves about how we both process things and that you're mapping things out and I'm flip-flopping from mood swing to mood swing to mood swing as we process these things and how we process all of these things that are going on. So we have a lot to talk about at the dinner table today and as the new year comes upon us. And we love this time of year. You guys always know that. We were seven minutes into recording last week's episode Mm -hmm. when I received a phone call. Mm -hmm. And I'm going to get all into it. Mm Mm-hmm. But it became quickly clear that we would not be able to put an episode together last week. Mm -hmm. Last week's episode, I wasn't intending on it to be cryptic or weird. It was just Mm -hmm. we wanted to make sure that we... Didn't just drop the ball. Right. We got to put something Mm -hmm. out there because if we didn't, that would raise a lot of questions. Mm -hmm. And thank you for everyone that reached out. Yep. We're going to get into everything that's been going on. But first, I feel like we should rush right into the unanswered questions that we would have done last week because, again, so much is happening. Unanswered questions. I think you did mention that sheep were on the list. And I said, yeah, farm life doesn't stop. And I promise you, it doesn't. Half of those questions got answered because the sheep showed up on Saturday morning. Right. Dorper sheep. That is the breed. Yep. We have two lambs, as you explained two episodes ago, mm-hmm. that were brought to us by a friend. Yep. And we're going to share in the bounty of creating a flock with this friend. Exactly. Okay. So the first question that I had, because remember, I was processing it as we went through that conversation. How often do Dorper sheep lay? Lay. I love that we say it that way now because we've been dealing with chickens so long. How often do they lay their lambs? Dorpers, generally, if they're bred pretty in alignment with the traditional, the original Dorpers, because the Dorper is was kind of a mutt sheep to begin with that mm-hmm. was bred in order to deal with certain types of challenging climates. Right. And it works perfectly for South Texas. Exactly. I found out that a traditionally bred Dorper has singleton births. Mm -hmm. However, they birth about once a quarter if you're open to that. And so you can have up to three or four babies a year in three or four different births. And as you say, they're going to give birth or... Lamb. They're going to lamb usually one lamb at a time. You will see twins from time to time. Yes. I also asked, do we supplement their grazing Mm -hmm. as their primary source of nutrition with feed or oats or something like that. And you can, but Dorpers, as I've understood it through the research I've done, are very happy to live on the pasture, provided that there's plenty of pasture land for them to graze on. And in the case of the drought that we had this past summer, Mm -hmm. we would definitely probably have to supplement. Bring on some hay, bring on some other things. Mm -hmm. They're going to eat pretty much anything good and tasty and green that's going on in the pasture. Well, that's good because we have a lot of diversity, biodiversity in the pasture. And these sheep bring another layer of biodiversity that's going to benefit the pasture. Yeah. And then finally, you said you wanted to get a flock of 10 sheep. Mm -hmm. How quickly will we get there? That was my question. Mm -hmm. And the way we're going to get there is to begin obtaining ewes, female sheep. Mm -hmm. And that will be another project. We're going to buy a ewe or two first. Mm-hmm. Got to find a place that will do that. We don't need we the $900. We have to buy more than one. Yeah. The reason is because there's two rams back there. So there's got to be at least two, I'd say three is where we're going. And we'll get there when we get there. Exactly. So stay tuned. This adventure is just getting started. Justin messaged me. He's like, well, how was the lamb and steer introduction? I said, entertaining. But harmless because one of the steers actually stuck its horn down underneath one of the lambs as if it was about to flip it over the fence line. And I, at that point, I called out and clapped my hands at it and then try, kind of tried to back off whenever they're hanging around. 
But these lambs are super chill. Yeah. They're very much like they'll backyard. They'll come up to you. They'll let totally. you pet them. Yes. So that brought back a lot of memories for me mm. of exactly that. Because we were using castrated rams when we were showing lambs in the 4-H shows or whatever. Back in high school? Well, no, it wasn't in high school. It was when I was like in elementary school. Oh, wow. When I was in high school, I showed turkeys. Mm. When I was in um, elementary school, from like kindergarten to fourth grade, I had a lamb every single year. Like a lot of kids in school had these um, summer projects or, mm-hmm. or semester-long projects. I think we, I, if I remember correctly, we picked them up sometime in in the spring and there was a date that you could get them by mm-hmm. or you could you know like there were certain rules with 4-H you had to get it by this date and so of course we got a fairly young lamb in the springtime I could completely be wrong my parents will correct me you know that they will but I do know this that in January was when we were taking them to market and right. so that's some things that you know keeping in mind how many weeks we'll keep them on hand until we get to the next phase the thing that's been really fun about coming back to this kind of memory of what they were like when i was little is that i'm remembering their behaviors and i'm remembering that they actually are docile not just docile but they're they're community animals they want to hang out in flocks and they they like the sound of people and the way they're they move their heads and everything about that. And so it got me thinking that it would be very easy to get a halter and lead mm-hmm. and put on these. And that, of course, they're first here for um, breeding, but these are such calm sheep that we may end up deciding that one of them stays around as the ram for a few years and the other one gets castrated. So it becomes a, a bit of a pet. So there's some thinking for me here about how do we continue to keep the the operation of the farm a a pet but also livestock an educational point for showing kids things you know like let me put the halter on the lamb and Mm -hmm. bring him up to the front yard and let him so that we're not hanging out in the back with the steers the long horns on them you know and what i love about the dinner table when we talk about these kinds of adventures especially when we're learning is that we can teach our friends that are at the table today as we're learning as well and the stories i think with these sheep are just getting started so in the meantime be sure to check out our social media because we're going to be posting pictures of all these sheep yeah then we had an unanswered question what is carrageenan uh-huh that's an old question it's two weeks ago i feel like i've slept since then oh my god it feels like a hundred years since the last time we did an episode but the way that it came up was you were talking about cheeses that were uh-huh. making your stomach hurt and cheeses that weren't, and you thought it might have to do with carrageenan. I feel like we've answered this question before. I, I don't think that we have. Okay, go but on. It, it is in a family of questions that we have answered. Yeah. Carrageenan is a substance extracted from red and purple seaweeds. Then they run it through all kinds of things, and it becomes usable in food additives, and it's a thickening or emulsifying agent in food products. Thickening, thickening. That's it. It's used in all kinds of things, but as far as cheese goes, you normally see it in like a cottage cheese or a cream cheese to make it, you know, thick Thicker. and not separate. Mm-hmm. But it is used in cheese making. You're likely to more, see it more often in your mass-produced exactly. brands. Yes. So I think that that's the common denominator there. You're trying to stay away from the mass-produced brands no, 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 and no, keep no. it. What I'm finding is that I'm probably more okay. And and here's the thing that I'm not sure about this at all. What I was saying last time was I thought the things with carrageenan in it are the, probably the ones I'm doing better with because they're less dairy. Then someone introduced me to raw dairy cheese and said, try this, buy it at the grocery store, shredded raw dairy cheese. And I ate that no quesadilla stew. I had no problems whatsoever. And I've been paying a lot of attention because I'm eating different things. And I'm trying this or that. And I, you know, I'm trying to see and if there's any. you know any... that the goat cheese at the farmer's market is raw. Nope. Yep. So. No problems there. When I say it's a family mm-hmm. of thick conversation that we've had, it's because depending on the website, it's horrible for you. It's okay for you. And that's just going to come from the lobby group that's promoting these kinds of additives. These kinds of questions always leave me scratching my head. And because there is no seemingly definitive answer on um, whether or not it's good for you. I don't really care what other people say about whether it's not it's good for me at this point anymore. What I have decided is, is it if it makes me feel good or bad. I'm actually more aware of that than anyone else. So like pizza with mozzarella cheese on it 
makes me sick every time. Even though I'm eating gluten-free bread, you know, whatever, it was making me blow up mm -hmm. immediately mm -hmm. afterwards. So I was like, mozzarella, okay, let's try something different. And so we that's made a the pizza only way last you can night figure with it out. that raw cheddar you were talking exactly. about. And it, any problems? Nope. None. Wonderful. Mm -hmm. There are unanswered questions about New Orleans. Yes. Our upcoming trip. Yay! We're not going to talk about those this week. Okay. We're going to push those back to next week. Okay. But the last unanswered question is, what was that name of that movie with Reese Witherspoon when she went camping across the whole country? Mm -hmm. Wild. Wild. And I'd like to rewatch right. that with you because we haven't seen that in a while. But I know that you went on this hiking trip. Mm -hmm. It was my weekend out of town in Wimberley that I go on every year. And this year, I mentioned to you guys that Tommy's back in town and that's been a huge blessing. As Tommy was headed back into town, I was like, hey, Tommy, you want to go hiking with me? You want to go try something out? And so she ended up going with me to Wimberley and we did my very typical Wimberley weekend where we eat all kinds of delicious food. We went to Cured yeah. and ate some of the delicious food there. And that was kind of my I big birthday yeah, lunch. I was pissed because you had only been out of town for like two and a half hours, three hours when you sent me the first picture yeah. of you at Cured. Yeah. We've talked about Cured here before. I love that place, and you made me just remember how long it's been. I don't think we've been to Cured since before the pandemic. I have no idea, but I know that that food is well-cured meat that we love. They had some delicious rillette and liver, and mm. the great thing about this trip this time that was a little different than I've ever done before that Tommy was with me. She's from Michigan, and she's seen Texas but she's seen little tiny bits of Texas. Mm -hmm. So taking her up to San Antonio to the Pearl Brewery and then... You got to show her some of your favorite things. Totally. Yeah. And it, and I'm like kind of like a hill country buff. Like I like own that place because I'm from there, you know. I lived in, I'm from here, but like I lived in Bernie. And you know, like I have this ownership over New Braunfels and Fredericksburg and... I've been married once before and it happened in Fredericksburg. And so I've got all these memories, like deep, deep tied memories to this area up there. I took her through San Antonio. We did our Wimberley weekend. We got to go to market days. That was great. I showed her around up there. We got to do some shopping. And then we headed over to Fredericksburg and I had booked for us to have a Airbnb so that we could hike Enchanted two days in a row. And Enchanted Rock State Park in basically Fredericksburg, Texas, just about eight minutes from Fredericksburg, Texas. It's actually a lava uprise, mm -hmm. but it's quartz. It's pink quartz, as that's what it is. It's a huge boulder. It's a big mound. Ginormous. Mm -hmm. The first day, we went straight to the state park, and we hiked what they call the summit. So that's like to the top of the rock, which is amazing. Yeah, and and you, and, you and I took the kids there once. Yep. Climbing this big rock. And I recall that it's a little more strenuous than it looks like it's going to be when you get started. Yep. He's like, oh, yeah, it's right there. And then you like start going and then it's like <sighs> straight up. And you're like, oh, I got to go side to side. I got to make my way up this thing, you know, and just like out of breath. And yeah, it's a whole thing. And then when you go back down, it's like, how do I go down without go <laughs> like it looks really steeper than it is. It's weird. It's a weird illusion yeah. when you look at this ginormous pink boulder in the middle of Texas. So we did that, and then we come back to this really cute little Airbnb Airstream. As a matter of fact, they had uh, sheep. So oh. it looked like it was uh, homesteaders, kind of like us, uh -huh. except that out in the front of their pasture property, right, you okay. know, their ranch land looking stuff, right, right. they had um, an Airstream with all the setup around it, and then they were building a tiny home. So it looked like they were setting up a couple of places and makes perfect sense because between Fredericksburg and Enchanted Rock, here they sit, you know, eight minutes from the rock. Mm -hmm. Perfect for us because that gave us the ability to glamp. I mean, we were camping in right. someone else's Airstream that we just like pulled up into. Do and you remember that the very first Airbnb we ever used yes. was an Airstream? Yes. In a backyard in Austin, Texas, yes. when we went to go see Arcade Fire. Yep. I remember. I can also tell you that there's been a 100% markup since then. I believe you. Literally. <laughs> I believe you. It's, I think they call it the cleaning fee, and Airbnb uh, is under a lot of fire by users, especially users that have used it for as long as we have, that are reevaluating using it because the appeal of it at the beginning was that it was so much less expensive than a hotel, and now it's starting to rival and be more expensive than a hotel because of these cleaning fees that people aren't happy about. 
Yeah, I I just take it back to anytime you get to the point where you're having to fight with city council about making new laws, to mm. you've it's lost its shine. It's not as great as it used to be. And like once you get to the point, of, once you get to the point of Corpus Christi fighting over it at mm. city council, it's old news. I mean. Sadly, I hate I hate that. But the thing is, is that what was great about Airbnb is that Airbnb was like couch surfers when it came out. Remember when we went to California? Mm -hmm. Well, the freaking first Airbnb, we stayed in the Airstream that you're talking about. It's like legit. It's like somebody's paying for their Airstream by, you know, like renting out in their backyard in Austin. Right. Then we travel the PCH and stay in like three different Airbnbs up the coast. And we stayed in other places too, Yeah, but it was like in people's houses that they lived in mm -hmm. that we just left for a little while and then came back. So that's right. how they pay them supplemental rent. Income. Yeah. Supplemental income. It was such a different vibe. I mean, now you've got all these people that are managing properties and cleaning properties and you're never actually any connection with the person that has anything to do with the property. And they're all extra extra pieces of property that everyone has bought and yeah. it's a bit well, of a different experience recalling our arkansas trip last february and you can go back and mm -hmm. find that episode those airbnb yeah. stays were ideal yeah, they, they were fantastic the, back to the vrbo like it's back to like you've got groups that are renting out these short-term rental that short-term rental existed before airbnb right it's gone back to that. Like Airbnb's yeah. gone to that. Right. It's not what it, you, Airbnb was special, different, more like couch surfer, you know, in that kind of way of just, we're kind of doing an alternative thing over here and we're sharing our houses with people we want to share our houses with. I mean, even the communication, which it gets drawn that way because of the lowest common denominator. If we continue as a community to activate based on the lowest common denominator, we're going to have to make rules based on the lowest common denominator. And if you have to make every single rule, remember back in the old days when they would say, no smoking tobacco allowed. Right. Now it's just like no smoking. And you're just like, okay, but what are your real rules? Right. You know, and it's not that anymore. It's just, and the, and the way that they handled that was so chill back in the old days. It was like written in the notes, uh, you know, and then when you, when you got there to open up the binder, it was like the notes and then you wrote back and forth notes. I mean, think about the cool ass places we've stayed. Mm -hmm. We've stayed in Franklin, Maine, in Badawan, Maine, in the middle of nowhere where we pooped in a... <laughs> I wasn't there for that one. No, but like, I mean, like... Places where you wrote well, finish notes. Finish your sentence. Where did you poop? Play, exactly. In an outhouse. <laughs> but literally, an outhouse. Okay, what about Terlingua? Yeah, that was These are amazing. people that we like fell in love. Like, we, we like their place so we're much. We, we're friends on Facebook now. Like, yeah, that was... Uh, Terlingua is a ghost town outside of Big Bend National Park in West Texas. I, in fact, I told this story the other day. We stayed in a camper that had been pulled up next to a cover where the porch is covered and they had a bed on wheels that you could drag out into mm -hmm. the desert away from the camper that we slept on one night under the most amazing canopy of stars I have ever seen with my eyes. Yep. Because it is literally in the middle of nowhere. Yep. It has no electricity. Lights, had no. a shower. Oh, let's tell this story. It had a shower made of pallets and a Navajo rug. Mm -hmm. And I sat, it was my best entertainment of the whole trip. I got to sit in a chair and watch you take a shower, <laughs> took a few pictures, <laughs> sent one of them to Walgreens Thanks. to get, um, <laughs> no, no, not Walgreens. I actually put it on canvas <laughs> of like a flash of your butt. It was the sexiest thing I've ever seen. If you ever visit our home, it's in the boudoir. <laughs> Hilarious. Yeah. Yes. Please so don't how was this boudoir. Airbnb? Let's get back to your trip. You were at an Airstream. We've done that before a couple times actually now. We think about it. It was really nice. It was very nice. And then we lit ourselves a fire that night. Super, super wet and damp. The weather had gone back and forth. It was like going to mm -hmm. be freezing. And I so I so I had to shift plans. And then we shifted the plans. And, and then it was going to be perfect. And then it shifted. And at the end of the day, honestly, it was perfect. We yeah. hiked the first night. There was no wind up the summit. That was great. It was a little bit damp, but not damp enough to hike the, not be able to hike the rock. The next day we get up, it's foggy as crap, just thick as pea soup. I'm looking at the clock. I'm looking at the weather. It says 11 o'clock, partly cloudy, sun coming out, warming up. All right. Regardless, we're going to be there at 11 o'clock. Yeah. And we're going to go ahead on a different hike for the day. That gave us a chance to cook up some egg tacos. You know, mm. that was a lot of fun. And just, In the Airstream? Yeah. Yeah. And then make our lunches because we made a picnic lunch. 
And then we headed back. And by the time we were back on the road, we weren't even all the way there. And I looked at Tommy and I said, I swear this trip is magical because the sun was gorgeous. It was a perfect day. You went back to Enchanted Rock? We went back to Enchanted Rock. But this time what we did was we went around the entire rock. Not the entire rock, but most of it. And then came up what they call the Echo Canyon, which is like a little break. And there's a lake in the center of it. And so we had our lunch by the lake. And this is a fun question, okay? Because Tommy asked me this question. I think Tommy is a very new hiker as well. I've been doing, I've done quite a bit of hiking, but she's done some overnight hiking okay. and I haven't done any of that. And so I'm looking at her when for you, her let advice. Let me just clarify, when that. you say overnight hiking, you don't mean overnight go to the Airstream or whatever right. and then go back. You're talking no. about you sleep on yes. the trail and resume your hike the next day. Yes. In a tent, I suppose, or. Yeah, exactly. You pack in, you pack your stuff in primitive camping sure. or you know whatever and sometimes it's like a big hike in and some of it's like oh you hike in a, about a less than a mile and you get yourself set up and mm-hmm. then you can just be there it's just primitive and that's the way enchanted has been and that's i think that's most of what her main experience is, is she might have done one one thing with some sectional stuff in iowa this summer oh wow sorry this fall with another friend of hers mm. but she's fairly new into it she knew where we were on the top of the summit. And so when we set out on the next morning, I was like, okay, girl, you're the navigator. Let's do it. And she asked me a question. She goes, well, do you want to go the east direction or the west direction, basically? do you, Which direction do you want to start? Because this is a loop. So we can do either way. Sure. And I go, well, what difference does it make? And she's like, oh, she goes, I, well. Right. Outside of flipping a coin, why would I go this way or that t- way? Tell me why. And she's like, I don't know, because you can look to the left or look to the right. And I'm like, I don't know. Okay, well, let's go that way. And so we went that way. Well, at that point, as we came around the mountain and it just kept sparkling and sparkling and sparkling. And then we got to this quartz, crystal quartz mound. It looked like it was this perfect ice snow cap. She said, this is what the ice caps look like in Michigan. Mm. But it was quartz. Right. Crystal clear quartz. Like like when we went to Arkansas, but like ginormous pieces of quartz and perfect where you could just sit right on it and the sun was shining right on it. It was like these perfect meditation spots. And later on, we did a little bit more research. She sent me some things. It was talking about like the energetic vibe and the portal and the vortex that the way the natives use this rock and and i was like how is it that in texas we don't talk about it's not that? marketed like sedona yeah like, sedona arizona and i also at that point realized okay this is why you ask west or east when you're thinking about where you're going to be on the side of the mountain or where are the woods going to be because this side of the rock is the desert and this side of the rock is the canyon with the rocks on both sides mm-hmm. So if it's a cold day, then I want to go the direction where I'm going to get the warm sun in the morning. And as the sun comes over the mountain and makes everything sparkle, just perfectly hitting the mountain. And then I come around into the valley and the rocks on both sides of me. And it's the afternoon where all the rocks are like getting warmed up and everything's getting warm and I'm getting the warmth. Then it's basically, it has to do with like... The position comfort, of the sun during the day. The position of the sun yeah. is the, are you going to get the shade in the afternoon? Do you want the shade in the afternoon? Do you want the shade in the morning? Do you want the sun in the morning? Do you want the, and I was like, oh my God, this is an interesting, oh, we got to think about that, you know, but we came around that Echo Canyon and came up that hiking trail. And that's where a lot of people in Texas do actual rock climbing tons of rocks to climb on over there lots yeah Yeah, and there were some people scaling because we were there kind of late in the afternoon because they were closing up at three o'clock for they were opening their park for the park hunt Mm -hmm. just like the other park had been closed down for that so it's that time of year for these park hunts. apparently yeah yeah, and it uh, and apparently we're i mean there were lots of deer up there this year there were maybe we're answering the question now there's there's no unanswered question when you have a decision to make on mm-hmm. a hike, you have to take into consideration what the sun is going to do over the duration of your hike. Because mm-hmm. if you had gone left or right, you mm-hmm. would have had really two different experiences. And just like if you're planting your garden and you're putting up like things, you know, on the side of your garden so that you get the sun in the morning mm-hmm. and you get the shade in the afternoon, you right. have to think about when you're hiking a mountain or you're hiking in a certain forest same area, same happen. types of things are going to happen. Sure. So, and, and I can promise you, there's no way in hell anybody wants to be anywhere near that rock in August. 
I, I can, I'm telling oh, you right now, friends, hot. I'm telling you right now, friends, don't go to Enchanted Rock in August. You're, you're going to be glad I told you this, unless you're going to be hanging around Echo Lake with your nakedness the whole time. I just know on your way home, I wasn't thinking, I suppose. And I said, uh, I'm going to bring home Indian food. You're going to be greeted at home with delicious Indian food. Mm-hmm. You're like, okay. Mm-hmm. Oh, baby, what's up? I need food. I need home-cooked food, and I want it to be comfort, comfort, comfort. Can I need you, a potato can and you, steak. Can you please make me a thick steak <laughs> and a baked potato? And I was, of course. And I had three big ribeyes that I pulled out because there's three of us here. And I figured uh, plenty of leftovers if we didn't need it. And you tackled that entire 12-ounce, 16-ounce ribeye. I was hungry. Well done. I needed the steak. I needed to eat. And I did some hiking. And I didn't do a ton of the, like... Eh, crap eating, but a little bit of the crap eating because you're like out and about. and It's hard not to know. eat a little crap when you're traveling like that unless you're packing in everything that you intend on eating. Yeah. The one thing I said to Lillian after I got home and I, because I was out, off of Wi-Fi for a big portion, like my actual birthday and the day after I was mm-hmm. kind of like a little bit hit or miss with Wi-Fi because right. I was on a mountain. I was like doing my own thing. So I got all the messages that come in, you know, happy birthday, happy birthday, all that stuff. But I was getting them in phases and, you know, trying to send people quick messages back. But I told Lillian, I went on a hike. From now on, that's my that's my new wish is that I want what I want to do for my birthday, I want to go on a hike. And right. even if I'm just hiking it somewhere in Texas, which is there's a million great places to hike in Texas. That's what I want to do. I want to hike on my birthday. And Lillian goes, you do it. And I go, I'm going to. And I was like, that was super cool. Hiking, there's literally nothing more important to me in all of the travel, in all of the vacationing, in all of the things that I've done with all the things, going on experiences, eating good food, all that stuff is great. Getting to hike and trek and climb and look and breathe in all parts of the world, it is the greatest joy of my life. It's all I ever want to do. That's wonderful. I love it. Well, then I can't wait to plan this New Orleans trip with you because we got to find some places to do it. I know. I'm excited. But it's going to help steer me here because I just want to talk for a little bit. My mother was diagnosed a decade ago or more with congestive heart failure. When you hear that term, it's scary. Heart failure. My grandmother had congestive heart failure yeah. too. <laughs> what it means is that your heart is not pumping as effectively as it once did. And the key symptom of that is that your body retains fluid because your heart is pumping blood through all of your organs and getting fluid out. If it's not pumping as effectively, it it collects. And the worst part of that would be that you can get pneumonia. Mm -hmm. So what they do for you when you have congestive heart failure is they give you a diuretic and you take the diuretic for the rest of your life. But what a diuretic will do if you take it for the rest of your life is slowly erode the ability of your kidneys to operate as they're supposed to. So imagine that you're taking a medicine to keep fluid from collecting in your body that would kill you. And that medicine is slowly killing you. I feel as though that's the way it is with all the pharmaceuticals we take. Okay. Because they all have side effects. Sure. It's the give and take. Yeah. That's how medicine works. Synthetic medicine. So for years now, my mom's course of care was to take a diuretic at home and it would work until it didn't work. And then you have to go to the hospital Mm -hmm. where they give you an industrial strength diuretic and they've got a catheter on you to really look at your kidney function. They get you kind of cleaned up. You get the fluid out of your body. Your kidney function will continue to kind of incrementally increase until it gets to a number where they can send you home. And then your diuretic is working until it isn't and repeat. And over the course of the last eight years, my mom has been in the hospital for this, as I just described it. It was like once a year, a dozen for a while. times, and then after a few, then within oh, the last four. few years, it was every couple. Right, and that's the thing is yeah. the cycle and shortens. It, yeah, exactly. Because your kidneys are doing months, more, right, and then it's yeah every few weeks, and so last Tuesday the cycle hit a wall. Mm-hmm. where the kidneys just aren't operating anymore. And she went back to the emergency room. And on Wednesday, I was told that she would need dialysis. Dialysis, in case you don't know, is a multi-time-a-week process where you go in and your blood is literally filtered through a machine 
and it's doing the work of your kidneys. It's an artificial kidney, but they can't install it on you. You have to go get it done. Mm -hmm. My mom's mind has been slipping probably around the time that my dad left us, which you guys here at the dinner table went through with me a mm -hmm. couple of years ago, right at the beginning of the pandemic. I'll mm -hmm. never forget that. Mm -hmm. April 2020 is when mm -hmm. my, my dad left. Mm -hmm. And my mom and my dad had created this synergistic, codependent relationship where my dad took care of my mom's anxieties and fears about medicine and doctors and so many things. And when my dad left, my mom lost that co-conspirator, that partner that would drive her everywhere, for example. And my mom learned quickly that I could not sub be the substitution because mm -hmm. I've got my own family and mm -hmm. my own children and my own requirements and responsibilities. And no, there was like a very tight partnership of two. Oh. So it's not like a situation where right. well, the son just steps up no, and no, no. Yeah. that wasn't, it It never even matched yeah. when the son did try to step up sometimes. It didn't really, it didn't really work like that. And some of the things too, like, yes, your mom was, mine was slipping and yes, the dialysis became um, requirement. The, the, the requirement here at the end, but the liver had already pretty much given I out. Haven't, I haven't talked about her liver. The, the uh, heart was yeah. on a defibrillator and that had happened just a few months, not even just a couple of months ago. Like mm -hmm. things, we were just at that point. Yeah, her body was beginning to really fail. And my mom was the last person to say it out loud, admit it out loud. She never really did. Yeah, and that's not, that's really not unusual. We've talked I'm about that before. Not being critical. Right. But she had Joe Mack for all of those. Yeah. Decision making, make the decision, to put partner, on it. whatever yeah. before. So my mom's liver, my mom's kidney, my mom's heart, my mom's mind, it all just in the last week. Mm -hmm. Said no. Said no. Thank yep. you. That's a really good way to put it. Said no. So it was in this last week that the first kind of, you know, someone in the medical field said the word hospice. Mm -hmm. And they never say it's time for hospice. They say... You might, or has someone mentioned? Want to consider? <laughs> has someone ever said? Hospice. Have you ever heard of these words they use? Um, maybe comfort care is the next decision. My father's last weeks were in hospice care. Mm -hmm. Very easy decision to make. Yeah, and that, but that was such a. I think there was a little bit more positive planning because when the opportunity presented itself, you moved your father into this really nice, like private home. Mm -hmm situation yeah. that was they were prepared for hospice when that was going to come right. sooner than later and we knew that and right then but that decision my mom was didn't know it my dad didn't know it because my mom didn't face these kinds of things right right and so i uh, no dialysis no that's yeah. not an option but because her kidneys had already failed Mm -hmm. that became the graph of her health. And I yeah. realize that now. I didn't realize it this whole time. Her heart was what I assumed was driving the train. Mm -hmm. It was her kidneys mm -hmm. that was the graph of her health. Mm -hmm. And they have been slowly declining, slowly declining, slowly declining. But last Wednesday, it just took a nosedive. Mm -hmm. And Thursday, when we were recording, I got the mm -hmm. phone call. You might need to come back to the hospital. She's probably not going to make it through the night right friday morning she had mm -hmm. my aunt came up a, yep. the most valuable family ally that has helped me mm -hmm. family wise through this thing the most and we began talking in earnest about hospice because the comfort care at the hospital was it comfortable Fuck no it was really bad you guys they call it comfort care but there's nothing to, comfortable about it. I wanted to crawl in the bed and like cover her from the lights and all the chaos and the noise. And yeah, it wasn't good. But it was in that situation, in that moment that they're asking you questions like, should we even move her? And we don't even know if she's going to make it through the night, yeah. that kind of thing. And it, so it was really nice that the next day came, your aunt came up and then we made a decision. Mm -hmm. There was a decision made to move her into an actual hospice Inpatient care facility. Unit. Right. It was really nice. 24 hour a day. We don't know how long she's going to be with us, but mm -hmm. she will never be in an ounce of pain or anxiety while she's mm -hmm. here. It's a beautiful facility. Mm -hmm. The bed is beautiful. The room is beautiful. A family gathering spot. And the anxiety, you guys, that was a part that you wanted to release somebody. I mean, you, all of those things about rest in peace, all of those things to get her 
from the hospital where it was clearly not comfortable, move to a facility comfortably as possible, Mm -hmm. get her in the facility, get her comfortable in the facility, get a place where people could slowly come by and love on her. Yeah, the few people that might want to A, see her in that condition and B, want to say goodbye while she's still breathing. Yeah, and she was actually still a little bit conscious. There was like you... you, Yeah, no, I definitely do. I think that there was movement towards... um, But I think when they got her comfortable, they got her comfortable and that's part of it, you know? Well, Wednesday I had a conversation with her. Mm-hmm. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go ahead and tell this story. I saw her Wednesday, mm-hmm. and she was saying, I need help, I need help, I need help. Oh, I'm, here, I'm here to help, Mom. How can I help you? Let me adjust your pillows. Uh, the, you need the bed adjusted up or down. Uh, hungry. I'm here to help. Mm-hmm. Love me. Mm-hmm. I need you to. I need you to love me. Do you love? Do you love me? Mm-hmm. Do you love? Do me? you know how much I love you? Mm-hmm. Of, mom, of course, of course, mm-hmm. I love you. Mm-hmm. I'm here to. I'm here to help you. I'm. Of course, I love you. Oh, yes, I know that. I that you love me. You've been the best mother. Eh. Then help me. Help me. I need help. I, I'm here to help. I, repeat for an right. hour, hour and a half. Right. And that kind of, some of those questions had been asked mm-hmm. over the time. You love me. I love you. You know how much I love you. You know how much the I love thing, your father. Yeah. You know, that kind of stuff. The other thing happening. I knew was a problem was I took her a bag of chocolates that uh-huh. day. Yeah. And I always would take in a little bag of something, not always, but from time to time, a little treat. I know it's not good, but I mean, at this it, point I was like... I think it is good <laughs> at that point. Well, yeah. it didn't really go- coexist with the diet that her doctors wanted to have. But at this right. point, I'm like, who cares? Right. And she said, no, I don't I don't want that. Take yeah. that away from me. Yeah. To, yeah. I, I don't yeah. want that. And, I knew, and that sounds silly. I'm making a joke. I'm not making a joke. <clears throat> I knew something yeah. was really wrong at that point. And it turns out I found out that she had not eaten the entire time after she had gotten to the hospital. She, was, she had been refusing food. Mm-hmm. So that night, I told you that story. Yeah, and I, I just looked at you. I've been, I've been doing a lot, a lot of studying about um, life and death and forgiveness. Not even really directly related. It just had come into, it was, I've said this before, and I'm going to say it again. I know this. I believe so much in synchronicity, and I've been studying The Course in Miracles over the last year, and that's been my daily spiritual text, and everything has been synchronizing. Everything the whole every it's the weirdest craziest thing i've ever experienced but everything synchronizes and so part of what i have been processing through my daily spiritual practices is forgiveness love this process of death and what is a life and what is lifetime and when is the beginning and when is the end and what does that mean and all of these types of things And so when this occurred, it had me thinking about the conscious, unconscious, the spaces that we go into. I looked at you and I, what I felt for her was that she was wanting to make that, that Christ love connection with you. She was wanting to make that forgiveness connection with you. And I said, go up there and tell her, go up there and tell her, mom, assure her, mom. Don't be flippant. No. Don't, don't. say, of course oh, yeah, I'll come mom, on, mom. No, I love mom, you. I love you know you. it. No. Look her in the eyes, hold her hands, and tell her how much you love her, how grateful you are for her, mm-hmm. that you forgive her for anything that ever, like, could ever be held on to. There's nothing there, and how much you love her, and, you know, just go up there and give her permission to be forgiven, to be loved, to just know that she's... That she's done everything. And because the anxiety is such a big deal, that she's in peace here right now with her, with you holding her hands, looking her in her eyes, telling you, her that you love her. So I did just that. Yeah. The next day, Thursday. Yeah. Almost like give her your permission. She wasn't as there mm-hmm. 24 hours later. Mm-hmm. And when I said we had had a conversation the day before, it's through the filter of my mom's increased confused mm-hmm. mind. Mm-hmm. But I could tell you, we exchanged words. It it was you and then me and then you and then me. And we understand that we are having a back and forth. Thursday was less than that Mm -hmm. around noon. Mm -hmm. Then I come home. We're recording the episode. And I get not planning to really talk about any of it. No. Not at all. Got the phone call. If you'd like to come up now would be the time. Do you want us to move your mom into a more do not resuscitate situation. She's currently under full code and her blood pressure has dropped significantly since you visited her earlier. 
what do you mean? Talk to me more. Well, like, for example, on TV, when you see the paddles and the clear and all that, we don't have to do that. Mm-hmm. Or CPR compressions that could hurt her. You want to move in that direction. Mm-hmm. And I said, yes. And then we headed up there. Mm-hmm. And I didn't know if I wanted to. I, I At that point, I was, mm-hmm. you were there. I was not mm-hmm. yeah. processing it. Mm-hmm. You said, did you say you were about to take a shower? Yes. Mm-hmm. Go take a shower. Mm-hmm. Take a long shower. Mm-hmm. Contemplate. Talk to whoever you need to talk to in the shower. Right. And I get out of the shower. <laughs> I'm like, we're going. Mm-hmm. So we go up there and that's when we see this chaos and confusion mm-hmm. that I moving was so toward a comfort upset. care. This is not comfortable. The moment I walked in that room, the TV was on. Like I just was in panic mode. The bright I was like... lights right down on her face. I said, I'm turning these lights off. Mm-hmm. We realized later that we had gotten there during a shift change. Seven o'clock shift change, you chaos, guys. But yeah. do better. Anyway, so... They told us that Thursday night, she probably wouldn't make it through the night. Mm-hmm. She lived till Tuesday. Mm-hmm. A testament. And people that really loved and wanted to be there were got able to, to come. come and see her and say goodbye to her and tell her that they loved her yeah. and tell her that she was loved and they they knew she loved them yeah, and with, with all the things that, you want to hear, yeah. I imagine you would want to hear. Music that she would appreciate playing in the mm-hmm. background. Mm-hmm. A fantastic staff. Of mm-hmm. doctors and nurses that were just doing God's work. Mm-hmm. And her brow was no longer knitted. Yeah, that knitted <laughs> brow. And then I made a joke with one of your parents' oldest friends that was in there um, about how now now I get it. Now I understand. It's the Joe Mac tone of dad voice and the knitted Sharon brow when you've got a tone. I always say, you've got a tone. And you're like, what do you mean I've got a tone? And I'm like, you've got a tone. And I'm like, it's like a dad voice and like a crunch brow. And I'm like, ah, yes. The Joe Mac dad voice. That's my dad. And I the use, I use his Sharon voice knitted brow. And my brow. I get it the most of anyone. And, and Savannah may get it from time to time. That's to time my tells. <laughs> your tells. <laughs> so the conversation since have been about how I wear my emotions. How I process things, especially compared to you. I don't think you. I don't think you wear them. I think that's part of what I've noticed. I've noticed. Yeah, <laughs> I've broken down a few times, and it has always been when I have been talking one on one with a health worker, her kidney doctor. Yeah. If you are in the Corpus Christi area and you require a kidney doctor, you go see Doctor Caldas K A L D A S. This woman is amazing. She has been with my mom on this journey. She pointed out my mom's knitted brow to her one time. Mm -hmm. Mrs. Hilliard, this pointing to her own brow, Mm -hmm. referring to my mom's, is the biggest thing we need to fix. Mm -hmm. And she was right. And that's like, that's it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And when I heard the word hospice for the very first time, the next phone call that I made was to Dr. Caldas because I needed to hear that kind of thing Mm -hmm. from her. Mm Mm-hmm. And she said, Joe, we're going to take this one. You stop it. We're going to take this one day at a time. I'm headed to the hospital right now to go visit your mother. Mm-hmm. She didn't have to do that. She wasn't required to do that. Mm-hmm. I'm going to call you back. This was Wednesday night, the night we were headed out to dinner for your birthday, to a fantastic place. It isn't going to get a mention this week. Maybe we'll talk about it next week. <laughs> Latitude in Rockport, Texas. Um, she called me and she said, Yeah, the kidney function is exactly as it has been explained to you. I'm going to give her the lowest dosage diuretic that I can, and we're going to check those kidneys, and we're going to begin praying for a miracle. And then the next day, the miracle had not come. Mm -hmm. And she said, Joe, it's next up is dialysis. I said, I'm not doing that. She goes, why not? Do you mind if I ask? And I said, it makes no sense to me that an 81-year-old woman with a confused mind, a bad liver, bad kidneys, bad heart is going to be... Bad, bad, and bad, but like done, done, and done. Right. Is going to be taken to a facility where she doesn't know where she is, why she's there, what's being done to her three times a week for three to four hours a day. Doesn't even make sense. Now we're moving into cruelty. Yes. And she said, Joe, you are right. Mm -hmm. I said, well. All right. This is my frustration with this whole thing. Why the fuck didn't you tell me that at the beginning? You didn't say that to her. I think I might have. (laughs) And she said, I can't. Exactly. That's our biggest frustration with this whole thing. 
all that's not the biggest there's so many frustrations but that but that part of it the comfort care so of course every time you contact you connected with somebody that actually made that whole process a tiny bit easier on you you cried with them and thanked them cried Dr. and they cried and cried together because she loved my mother and why do you believe those people were crying when they when you told them how grateful you were oh, well, for that's, their support that's what got her crying I said Dr. Caldas I need you to know before I'm not crying on this show Dr. Caldas I need you to know before I hang up this phone that you have been one of my most powerful allies and partners in this mm -hmm. and that I think that you are an incredible doctor that has gone above and beyond what any other doctor in this whole process has done and I think you need to hear that because I don't know how often you hear that mm -hmm. and she started crying and mm -hmm. she said Joe your mother was so special and I don't hear that very often. I'm always around when people are in trouble, when people are in pain, when people are whatever. And I appreciate that they don't, uh, you know, I said, well, I'm just, I'm so, I'm thank God for you. I'm so thankful for you. Yeah. And the same thing happened with an aide at her assisted living facility, a I special one. And we talked and she cried and I cried again. I think it's important to point out this little thing because... I think about my friend, Crystal Keller, and she works in the school system. And a couple of weeks ago, I went full blast on my anger at the public education system. She, she works in the special education department. And in the very recent past, she's been promoted to an administrator. Okay. And when that happened, knowing her the way I know her, I looked at her and I said, that is an absolute and full-fledged calling for people that have to be in the middle of those systems as we move through the next phase of whatever's about to happen with systems mm -hmm. and how systems work mm -hmm. so that you can help people get through those systems. Mm -hmm. And when you have the opportunity to say to those people, thank God there's someone like you in that system, you have to say it to them to give them the ounce of keep going. Keep going while this is what we have to work with because you're going to be the one that's going to help us evolve to the next phase of what we need to have to work with. Yeah. I'm looking at the time and there's so much more to talk about. And yeah. And I said, this is going to be a lot of unfolding at the yeah. dinner table. Your parents have passed and you made a post about it just the other day about mm -hmm. them having met at a honky tonk. Yeah, my dad loved to say, we met at a honky tonk. The one side is you can say, well, they created this this little exclusive island and there was a bit of a protection element yeah. in it. But on the other side, you can say, like we try to, two partners that have created this little island that is ours and that we're going to open that island up and we're going to say, come on and be a part of this with us. But what you said about... Whatever, where we don't know, wherever they go, whatever. Well, we I'd like imagine. to think that wherever their next destination is, my father is there with his hand out, ready to take his wonderful wife's hand and continue their 59 year old dance together. Take his best friend's hand yeah. and just walk her through this thing that she didn't really want to go through. But yeah. here she is, and this is what it is, and here we are, and rest in peace. And that is that yeah. unknit the brow. I said, rest, in, rest peace in peace is not a cliche. That's right. Because my mother needs peace more than anything else probably mm -hmm. her entire life and we all need peace certainly dr caldas and crystal keller and you and me and all of these people that we're talking about all these experiences going on top of these rocks for our birthdays and living through these moments with our friends and family members as we experience life and death together how do we find these moments of peace where we can unknit our brows and lay it down for each other and support one another. Grief is so interesting. Yes, it is. I believe it's the humanity of us. I feel like someone has tipped my head back, made me open my mouth real wide, put a real long spoon down my gullet and stirred up huh. everything. Thank you for sharing that with me because I have been asking you, how do you feel? Well, I just came up with that. That is really good. I, You're getting your gut stirred? I'm getting my gut stirred. There mm -hmm. is the initial immediate grief that everyone yeah. understands. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That's the grief that people are like, my condolences. So sorry for your loss. Mm -hmm. uh, words that really mean everything, but don't mean anything uh -huh. because they're doing... They don't even know what to do. They don't even know what to say. They just want to say something yeah. to say, I love you. I love you. And I'm so sorry <laughs> for your loss. And so please, if you have told me that, I'm not talking, no one's done anything. 
We yes. Did I make myself clear? Yeah. But the next parts where it's going to get really interesting Mm -hmm. is number one, caring for my mother in the absence of my father has been a second full time job. Was a full time job. Yeah. And I'm retired from that job. Yep. It opens up time for me. It opens. I mean, what? It opens up mental energies. Yeah. And that's all I'm going to say now Mm because I think that we're going to touch on some of these Mm -hmm. things for a very long time. Yeah. I, I expect that 2023 is like anything else, any other year, it's going to be another big unfolding year for the world, but us too. Number two. Oh, you got, you got more? If you go <laughs> back to that, oh boy, do I. I know if you is. go back to that episode where I talked about my religious upbringing, I would just scratch the surface on how much that and my attitudes about it have shaped me. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. And how my parents... Dancing that dance of do what's expected on the outside, certainly. Externally present mm-hmm. that we're doing everything correctly. But we aren't. But we're human. But don't tell people. But tell people human. that we are. But we're human. Yeah, I don't think you're prepared for this part of the conversation. That you're I, I know right that now. I'm not, but let's just, it's a little raw. And let me say some things now and we can go back and I can correct them later. And number three, and this is where, you know how... You might have a child that gets, um, this is morbid, but you like maybe gets like leukemia or some kind of disease and the child passes and the parents go on to become great advocates for leukemia research. That's just an example I came up with, but you know what I'm talking about. The advocacy that I want to get into Mm -hmm. really, and this is so important, is not just that your affairs are in order. That you have your powers of attorney documents, that you have your living will, that you have your resuscitation orders, so that those that you're leaving behind don't have to make hard decisions, that you haven't given them a framework of what you want. That's all super important. And if you don't have these kinds of things and you have children, get busy. I I promise you, it's so important. But then, in addition to that, the actual conversation. A 15, 20, 30-minute conversation at the next Thanksgiving or Christmas that's awkward and weird and strange and morose, and then we move on from it. But I have let you know everything that I feel about how I need you to care for me when I cannot care for myself. That has been the anguish here. That has been the frustration for me personally. And I can only speak to this now because of number two. Mm-hmm. You follow me? Yeah. Well, and you know that my feelings about it all is that this is a much, much deeper, of course. deep, deep psychological because you're in a room full of people that all agree with you and the women are still looking at their husbands going, hey, are you going to yeah. tell me what's going on with our financials? That, and I'm talking about multiple women and men. That's a real thing that happened men. several times in this. Yeah. Uh, are you going to actually tell me what you want? People that surprised me that yep. they hadn't shared these That's right. things. So, with so each that other. should that alone oh, should yeah. reassure you yet again that this is it. This is the reason why I find it so fascinating. The whole like the process that I'm going through in synchronicity with this life and death, thinking about yeah. what all this stuff means. Because to me, what I'm beginning to understand is what is it that we are so afraid of, and what is this life and death thing oh. we're dealing with here that. We can't even discuss it. And it doesn't matter how logical or thoughtful or helpful people are. If they don't want to talk about it, it if psychologically they don't want to talk about it, it does not matter how logical you make it for them. Oh, I understand. Compassionate care, though. Yeah. This whole process of what it's like to get to the end of this stage of life and what people go through, everyone goes through. These things are so massive, you guys, and they're things that we definitely have to discuss, which thank you, Joe, for being willing to open up your story to, and I think there's an advocacy in it, just that alone. If we can just say out loud, look, this is a deep psychological issue that we won't even have conversations to prepare our children, prepare for your children so that your children, what, what a great gift can you give your children to relieve some of the pressure? I've heard it many times recently and that is they just didn't make the decision they left the decision up to you and sometimes and we've talked i've talked recently in the past I don't couple want days that. with this I'm not, but, no, thank but you. sometimes sometimes 
that's the gift you can give them because you have yeah, the spirit that can handle it. Sometimes they trust that you know how to do it when the time comes. Sometimes they know that regardless of what they may have not in their right mind told you, that you know by looking at the situation, you have the eloquence, the confidence, oh, and sure. the bravery to well, make the decision just, when yeah. it's time to be made. And I'm not just... Now you're I'm just not flattering just, me to no, understand your point of view. No, I'm not. I'm know, simply I'm saying these are important, important conversations that I don't think it's just between us and our family or at Thanksgiving table. I think that these are cultural conversations. Oh, there Big, is no doubt deep, about it. generational cultural conversations. And why don't we move off of it by me telling this one more story? When I went up to the hospital this time... And hospice had been bandied around, and I'd already talked to the doctor called us. I wanted to meet before I went in to see my mom uh, to the case manager. You're always assigned a case manager at the hospital, and they manage the case. And I began talking about, I'm considering hospice if I get news that there's really no other option. And she asked me some questions about what my mom would have wanted or what my dad... And I kind of got into it, what my dad would have wanted, da, 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 da. And I said, nothing stopped a conversation, if I ever needed to get out of one with my folks, than something along the lines of, hey, dad, just curious, when you die, would you like to be cremated or buried? Or some question about estate planning or, you know, that kind of thing, any kind of what's going to happen to things. How do you want to handle upon your death? Oh, don't worry. It's all taken care of. Such a pat answer, such an answer that we heard a couple of times in these conversations. Don't worry. You'll learn when the time is right. Don't worry. The law, you just call the lawyer. Don't worry. And it's like, wow, we're really having some great deep philosophical conversations. And you're teaching me a lot here. About These are cultural challenges to, and coding and all things. And, and the case manager goes, it's curious, were you, were you raised Baptist? And it provided me with such a jolt of laughter that I did not realize was coming because of all of the things that she could have said and things I've talked about on this podcast. And I don't mean to bag on the Baptists. There's all kinds of great things about the Baptists. I'm sure I'm going to get into those because I have seen some beautiful ministry and help and compassion and just humanity from the Baptists in all of this. Mm -hmm. Just That's just the truth, too. But I said, is that a stereotype? And she said, I never stereotype. However... But I just did. <laughs> I've learned in South Texas, when a child is telling me that about their ailing parent here at the hospital, that it's a very Baptist notion. Isn't that a great place to leave it? All of our friends already got up and walked off from the dinner table. <laughs> yeah, I bet they haven't. You know why? Because who wants to talk about... <laughs> there you go. Exactly. Right. Culturally, who wants to talk about any of this stuff? Nobody does. Nobody does. Aislinn does. I'm one of those weirdos. And we actually have talked about it on this podcast before. We've talked about funeral pyres in the backyard. Yeah. And Are you still what's legally that, allowed. And uh, as long as I'm here on the property, I keep telling everybody that I'm going to haunt anyone that doesn't make sure my body gets given back to Mother Earth because I believe that spirit is one thing, but body is made out of Earth. And if it doesn't go back to the Earth body, then there's going to be a problem. My spirit's going to come back and get anyone that didn't let my body go back to the Earth, whatever that means and whatever's legal. Stupid legalities. Well, hey, while we're in this intellectual vibe, why don't you kick over a question we can deep dive into? Drew this at random. You and I have not seen it prior to this moment. Would you rather be in big trouble with your partner, your boss, or your mother? This is a stupid question. Well, I'm going to get another one. Because I'm my boss. That's true. I've been in big trouble with my mom before, and I'm like, meh, whatever. And, <laughs> and also with you, I've been in big trouble. I don't know that I've actually been in big trouble with you, but you've knitted your brow and given me your dad voice more than once in the recent months. So I, I don't, I, that's a stupid question. I don't, well, it's I'm not, not afraid stupid, of anything it's or not anyone. It's a stupid question. It just doesn't apply to you like it does other more people and nor me because I am now my boss. <laughs> I do not have my mother uh -huh. and. You definitely don't want to make me mad though. So it's no, me, I'm the one. It's, it's you. Me. You're the one. I don't want to be in trouble <laughs> with you. I don't want to be in trouble with you either. Our relationship has taken kind of this interesting non- 
verbal, well, I guess we have verbalized it a little bit, but interesting turn, I think, of a reconnection and rekindling. Not that like, anything was lacking or bothersome, but we have clung to one another through all of this. And yeah. I am very happy that that's the case. Yeah, I love you so much. And if I had to go through this with anybody, you have been incredible to go through this with. I've found out a lot about my intuition in this last period of uh, about three weeks of my life. Yeah. And there's more stories to come, you guys. Oh more stories to come. Rest in peace is not a cliche. Well, thank you so much for listening to another episode of Dinner Table Talks. We will be back next Monday with a fresh episode. In the meantime, hit us up on social media, send us an email, DM us, whatever. We want to hear from you. And we hope that you're enjoying the episodes as much as we enjoy creating them for you. You're doing a whole lot of weird radio show shit today, and I don't understand it. Okay. (laughs) 